All right, so our last section here, and this is going to be our shortest, uh, the flight of Israel, uh, chapter 11, verses 13 through 17. Uh, we are going to look at Israel's remnant here. There will be a physical, uh, a physical and faithful remnant of national Israel during the time of the tribulation in the second half, the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. And it says, when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now he is not persecuting the child because the child is currently in heaven, the right hand of God, but he persecutes the woman who gave birth to him. He's going to persecute national Israel. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Now, this is not told to us specifically that these two wings are a symbol. However, we know from earlier context that the woman herself is a symbol. Thus, that which interacts with her directly and uh, here physically uh, in its symbol must also be symbolic. So these two wings we have to take as symbolic because the woman to whom they will be attached uh, is symbolic of Israel. Now I like what what Tim LaHaye did in his uh, in his Left Behind series, though it's a fiction book and it's not meant to be. Uh, it, it is meant to speculate in such areas as this. He really maintained a literal uh, interpretation of this, despite. Um, the figurative nature of it. And he did that because these two wings are not spoken of directly as symbolic. We can only assume based on the context that they are. So while he leaves room for a symbolic interpretation, um, he made it uh, pilots with helicopters that were in the area that carried uh, Israel away into the wilderness. Uh, so I, I did appreciate that he did that, uh, that he didn't just jump to immediate symbolism. And something like that may, in, in fact, take place. We don't exactly know how they will escape, but we do know that the Lord will cause their escape and the Lord will protect them in their escape. But these images of wings of the eagles being given to Egypt or to uh, Israel is not uh, without scriptural backing. And we see that at that time, it, it was a figurative image. Um, so we also can can recognize that no matter how God does it, this image will hold. Um, and we read that from Exodus 9, uh, 19, 3 through 6, immediately prior to the Mosaic Covenant. He reminds Israel of what he has done for them. And he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So these eagles' wings is how God interprets the flight of Israel from Egypt into the wilderness to Mount Sinai. Um, and he says he bore them on wings, that he brought them to himself. So these wings of eagles are God's method and God's means of carrying Israel safely from danger. This flight is also foretold in Jeremiah 23, uh, starting in verse 3. It says, when I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. Now, this has already begun to happen. Uh, this is uh, the Daniel 24, or the Matthew 24 olive tree, which has begun to produce leaves. It says, I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them, 
and they will not be afraid any longer nor be terrified nor will any be missing declares the lord so they will need to be dwelling in peace and safety which is true up until the midpoint of the tribulation that despite the tribulation on the whole world uh, Israel will not be attacked by her enemies, will not be attacked by the Antichrist until the midpoint of the tribulation. Um, so they will dwell in peace and safety politically, despite the fact that the world is falling apart around them. Uh, they will have a political safety net um, until the midpoint. So here in Jeremiah 23, it continues, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, that is, uh, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Now, again, this is a prophetic, uh, two prophetic mountain peaks that are being seen. We see the arrival of the branch of David, uh, which is Jesus Christ. And we see his reign over um, Israel. And that reign uh, will be a perfect reign and they will uh, dwell securely at that time. And we continue, therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Uh, they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the north land, and from all the countries where I had driven them, then they will live on their own soil. Uh, so this is the Lord saying that once I brought you out of Egypt safely um, into the promised land. And so whenever God is reminding them of his faithfulness, he always reminds them of having brought them out of Egypt. And during the millennial kingdom, that won't anymore be the reference. But their reminder will be that the Lord brought them from all the nations and put them back in their land. Uh, and when they are dwelling safely in their land during the millennial kingdom, uh, that will be their, their uh, Ebenezer, remembering that they were brought out of all the nations. Uh, their time in the wilderness, in the mountains, uh, where they are fleeing from the Antichrist, uh, we do have the promise from God that he will protect them. And this has precedent also when the, uh, when the Jews were wandering the wilderness, God did sustain them. And in their sustenance, whenever God, God brought sustenance, it came on the, on the heels of uh, their having been tested to see if they were faithful. Um, so they were tested in their, in their hunger and in their thirst to see um, if they would be faithful to God. And we read that in Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 2. You shall remember all the ways which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry, and then fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So their sustenance is guaranteed and it will come on the wings of having learned a lesson about faithfulness to God. So that uh, in Deuteronomy 8 is looking at that small portion of 40 years, whereas this portion uh, in Petra where God is sustaining them, that will be a time of their remembering what God has brought them out of, what he has saved them from, 
that it is God who sustains them and not they who sustain themselves. So in Deuteronomy 80, he finishes and says, your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell for these 40 years. Thus, you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Right now, Israel is in a state of being disciplined by their father, by God, uh, but he will bring them out and he will bless them and he will sustain them during that last 100 or 1,260 days. Now, uh, the location of their dwelling during that time, there is no way of knowing except for pure speculation, uh, but it seems there is only one view. Uh, all those who take a literal view of scripture at all have settled on Petra. I didn't dig into this too much this week. Uh, in the uh, 10 plus commentaries that I read at the end of my own personal study, uh, I found no views proposed except for Petra. Um, so here I am proposing that to you as well, as this is also the traditional um, supposition that I have been raised with. Uh, so here, the, wide, the most widely accepted non-spiritual interpretation of their dwelling place is Petra. Now, that's not without evidence. Um, however, it's not clearly stated in the text, so it, it is just speculation. Uh, but first, let me read you a bit about what Petra is like. This comes from Arno Fruchtenbaum, um, a Messianic Jew. Um, he writes, Petra is located in a basin with Mount Seir and is totally surrounded by mountains and cliffs. Now, Mount Seir is the land of Moab. And it says, the only way in and out of the city is through a narrow passageway that extends for about a mile and can only be negotiated by foot or by horseback. This means the city is easy to defend. Petra is shaped like a giant sheepfold with its narrow passage opening up to a spacious circle surrounded by cliffs. The city of Basra in Mount Seir is located in ancient Edom or Southern Jordan. Since this area will escape the, uh, the domination of the Antichrist, it is logical for the Jews to flee to this place. Thus, God will provide a city of refuge outside the Antichrist's domain for the fleeing remnant. Now, uh, Fruchtenbaum here says that this will be uh, serving as a sort of city of refuge. Um, we want to be careful with that. It doesn't uh, fit the context of a city of refuge. I know one commentator who tried to make it fit, and it really doesn't. You have to make Satan the avenger of blood for the blood of Christ. Uh, and the argument being that uh, Israel is running for their life because they murdered Christ. Uh, that is simply not the case here. So yes, it is serving as a sort of city of refuge, but it is not uh, serving as a city of refuge because of Israel's murdering of the Christ. That is not what is happening here. But they will be preserved as if it were a city of refuge, were the cities of refuge provided for the purpose of Israel. Uh, the safety of Moab, which is Mount Seir, uh, is spoken of in Daniel 40, 11, 41. Now, this isn't its general safety, but it's safety during the reign of the Antichrist. We see the, the uh, 
the areas in the, the Near East where he will dominate, especially over certain countries. But we see that Edom, Moab, and Ammon uh, will be spared. And that's, uh, that is significant because Edom is the land of Esau, who was the son of Abraham, or the son of uh, Isaac, rather. And he was not given his, uh, his birthright because he sold it to Jacob, having scorned it himself. Moab and Ammon are the, uh, the uh, incestual children of Lot. Uh, by his two daughters. Um, so it's very interesting and very unique that it would be these three locations that are spared by the Antichrist as they are perennial enemies of Israel. But Israel will take refuge uh, in Mount Seir, most likely, uh, because the Antichrist will not uh, overcome these lands. And it probably does have a lot to do with our topography. It's a very difficult land to... Uh, to invade. Uh, now, Basra, uh, which is another um, city that is near Petra, but its district really covers um, Petra, especially historically. Um, Basra means sheepfold. Uh, Basra is the, the gate which sheep were kept in so that the, um, the shepherd might count them as they pass through the narrow entryway. Uh, and then keep them safe from the enemies around it. So it, it does have a lot of linguistical context here. But we see in uh, Micah 2.12, uh, we see this event in view. It says, I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep in the fold, like a flock in the midst of its pastures. They will be noisy with men. All right, so coming really close to the end here. Israel's protection during this time. It says uh, in verse 15 and 16, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of its mouth. So again, we've got what seems to be imagery because it is speaking of the dragon. Uh, the dragon was interpreted symbolically. Uh, some have proposed that this flood or this water also be interpreted symbolically. This one seems to be a little harder um, to determine than the wings, whether or not it should be taken symbolically or not. Um, so we, we want to be careful with that. Let me give you the, uh, the three most common views. The first one would be that it is a literal flood. Um, if it is a literal flood uh, that uh, the Antichrist will use in order to flood out uh, the, the Israelites who have taken refuge in Petra, this is possible as uh, it would be very difficult to, to navigate troops in that area. It might be that somehow he... he attempts to use an aquifer or something to wash them out, to drown them. Uh, so this is the literal view. If the literal view is true, there is no um, scripture anywhere that seems to reference this particular event. Often the events of, of uh, Revelation 
are simply an organization of past prophecies that are not given to us um, in their specific chrono uh, chronology and Revelation puts them in chronological order. So we can draw from the, the major and minor prophets of the Old Testament. This would seemingly not have any corollary in the Old Testament. It would be strictly a new prophecy if it is speaking of a literal flood. Uh, that being said, this is my particular view. Uh, I, I hesitate to take a spiritualized view on anything that is not explicitly spiritualized in context. Uh, view two, this is the most common view. Uh, Jeremiah 46 uh, uses similar imagery to talk about uh, a flood of soldiers. We see who is uh, this that rises like the Nile like the rivers whose waters surge about, Egypt rises like the Nile, even like the rivers whose waters surge about. And he has said, I will rise and cover that land. I will surely destroy the city and its inhabitants. So we see an army of men um, spoken of figuratively as a surge of water. Um, so that gives some the, the comfort to say that this would be symbolically interpreted as uh, as water. Now, this uh, verse that I give you is not the only time that this is done. I, I was very selective as I was running out of slide space. Um, so it, it, it's not without some strength in that interpretation. But again, I, I hesitate to spiritualize what's not spiritualized explicitly. Uh, the least common and the most spiritualized uh, idea is that this is a flood of evil. So not even literal troops um, of the Antichrist, but simply a tide of evil. And uh, this pretty much has its only um, uh, biblical support in imagery from the Psalms. Um, I think Psalm, uh, Psalm 24 or something also had this, maybe Psalm 18, uh, but Psalm 124 had the clearest imagery for this. It says, I had or had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept up, swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Uh, so again, this has... Uh, not as much strength as a flood of soldiers, uh, just simply being a flood of evil. Uh, put them together and you might get something there, but still I think a literal interpretation in this case, um, especially when we're, we're, we're just speculating in this passage because it's, it's quite possibly figurative. Um, we've got to hold them with a pretty equal hand, but I always tend to give a little uh, a little lift to the literal interpretation. Uh, the concept of them being swallowed up by the earth, uh, I do think that uh, if someone were to convince me of a figurative interpretation, they would probably do so using these verses, as this is speaking of the earth opening up to swallow uh, men. So in Egypt, the armies of Egypt are swallowed by the Nile, uh, but it's spoken of as, uh, as the earth having swallowed them. So despite the fact that it happened with water, uh, in verse 12 there we read the earth swallowed them. Uh, 
This also happened to the rebels at Kiriath Jerem, uh, or no, after Kiriath Jerem, in Numbers 16, uh, where the, the rebellion of Korah uh, railed against Moses. And Moses said uh, that if they die the death of a normal man, then they were right. But if the ground opens up and swallows them alive, uh, then he was right. And uh, it says, as soon as he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Uh, so there is scriptural context of the earth physically and literally opening up to consume uh, to consume men. So that uh, I would definitely take literally in the text uh, that it will probably be, probably be by some sort of earthquake or else strictly by a divine act of God that the ground will physically open up and swallow either the literal waters sent by the Antichrist or uh, the literal army of men sent by the Antichrist, um, one or the other, either way, it will be uh, some physical act of the Antichrist by the power of Satan uh, to send danger in the way of Israel, but God will deliver them and God will save them from that. But seeing that he is incapable of overcoming Israel, which is protected most likely in Petra, uh, he will turn his wrath towards their brothers. So it says, so the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So naturally, a large group of Jewish people together in one small confined place is going to be an easy target that Satan's going to think, yeah, I can just go pick them all off right there. Um, seeing that God's hand is over them, He's just getting more and more enraged here, and he is going to go off after anyone. Now, there's two pretty common interpretations of this. Um, some say that it is the, uh, the Gentiles who are born again during the tribulation period. We know from Revelation chapter 7 that there will be both national Israelis uh, saved, but there will also be Gentiles saved during the period of tribulation. So some like to look at these um, brothers as, uh, as Gentile believers, but it doesn't say in the text that they are the brothers of, uh, of those protected at Petra. It says that they are the children of the woman. So these will be other Jews, other national Jews, uh, which are not together at Petra. So we've got uh, two possibilities here. Either there is a special class of Jews that are uh, brought to Petra, or else there is a special, special class of Jews which are not brought to Petra on purpose, or else um, there is a simple scattering of Jews that have not been brought to Petra, but don't serve a specific or special purpose. Um, I take the former view, um, and we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, but first, we want to look at the Antichrist's warmongering. Uh, we get two, uh, two verses which speak to this specific event, uh, one from Revelation 13, 7, 
which is next week's verse. We won't go into too much detail here, but we see it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. So this, uh, this beast to whom authority was given, this authority was given to him from Satan. Remember in Luke 4, when Satan offers Jesus Christ all the nations of the world, if he would only bow down and serve him, and uh, Satan, or uh, yeah, Satan is refused by Jesus Christ. Jesus says, absolutely not. Uh, can't remember which defense he used in that one, whether or not it was not to tempt the Lord. It wasn't the temptation one. It was the uh, not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Um, Jesus did not accept this handing over of the authority from Satan, but the Antichrist will. Um, so authority over the tribes and the nations, which are Satan's on earth at the time of the tribulation, uh, still, those will be handed over to the Antichrist, and he will persecute all those uh, who believe in Jesus Christ during that time. Uh, in Daniel 7, this is spoken of in a strictly Jewish context. He says, I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. So we see that this is extending to the time of the saints actually possessing the kingdom. And in that case, it is national Israel um, in Daniel's perspective there. Um, so the class of Jews outside of Petra, I believe, are the 144,000. We see them again in Revelation 14, which is part of the same interlude. And we see them not at Petra, but we see them outside of Petra. Um, these 144,000 were sealed with the mission of bringing the gospel of the kingdom to the rest of the world. Um, so their purpose is outside of Petra. Their purpose is not to be protected uh, physically by God in the, in the uh, sheepfold, but rather to be servants about his business on the earth during this end times campaign of the Antichrist. So in Revelation 14, 1 through 2, we read, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures of the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the lamb, and no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. So uh, we're going to look at that passage in a lot more detail um, a couple weeks from now. But that is who I think is in view as the the other children of the woman who are not protected at Petra. So that is Revelation chapter 12, probably the hardest chapter to interpret of the whole book, um, and that is behind us now. So we can look forward to easier sailing from here on out.
questions or comments before we close? Dude, that is an amazing study. This is always seriously. Always love. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm gonna literally have to go back and listen to this again because I, there's so much detail yeah. uh, to to take in. Mm -hmm. um, really, really good. I, it, I'm probably gonna have whenever we do our follow up session of, of questions. You know, when we make that up, I'll, I'm gonna ask you some questions. I don't want to do them all tonight, but um, sounds good. Yeah, the uh, I mean, one of the biggest things is just uh, that I learned tonight was the uh, I mean, you kind of know about it, but until you have it uh, written down where you you look at how, you know, the interactions section, the conflict between God and Satan beginning, you know, Cain, the Noah bottleneck, Abraham, Pharaoh's massacre, uh, Jehoram's massacre, Isaiah's bottleneck, Joash, Herod, you know, up until Jesus Christ crucified it's just interesting to see how satan keeps trying to stop the lineage of christ right and uh i don't know it's just it's really eye-opening just so cool man you've it done is. a great job on this study awesome i'm glad well it's always really fun preparing it but it's it's more fun uh, actually presenting it and interacting with you guys so i thank you for being a, a patient and willing audience yeah, no, that's really good. I, I really do have some good questions, uh, not some good, but personal questions on this. I just really want to dive into a little bit more. So we'll, we'll do that another time. But from my perspective, this is one of the best ones. Awesome. Well, I'll look forward to that then. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much. I wish everybody else could have joined, uh, but hopefully get, they get to listen to the video. Yeah, I hope so too. I'll have them up soon on the website. Uh, all right. Well, let's nice. uh, close in prayer and then uh, I guess I'll see you next week. Awesome. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, uh, this wonderful night of study that we were able to have, uh, that we were able to come together and better understand your word. We know that it glorifies you when we seek to understand you. Uh, and it's very edifying to us when we, when we can look at your word and see how understandable it is. Uh, but it also provokes us to spend more time in the word, to spend more time seeking to understand. Uh, and we know that it is by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that we even have that capability of uh, coming to understand these spiritual truths which are presented here. So Lord, we pray that you enliven those truths within us that we might live by them and, uh, and be sanctified in, to greater degrees through them. Lord, we pray that you keep us humble. We pray that you keep us in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. Uh, so that we might uh, walk into greater understanding that. Lord, we pray all these things uh, for your wonderful and glorious name. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thanks for putting so much time into this. So cool. Awesome. Look forward to next time.